section thirteen of seven roman statesmen of the later republic by charles oman this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter six crassus part one napoleon in one of his cynical moods once asked his courtiers how the world would take the news of his sudden death supposing that some chance bullet cut him off before his time they hastened to give him all sorts of flattering versions of the dismay and regret that would fill all europe no said the emperor that is not the sort of thing that would happen all that would occur would be that every one would draw a long breath and say with a sigh of relief well that's all over and so it may be surmised did things go at sulla's death when men knew that his iron hand would never interfere again in politics they felt as if a long nightmare were over and abandoning the assumed characters that they had enacted during his lifetime dropped back into their real selves instead of the majestic and united optimate party which seemed to stand so firm under his protection there was now only a mass of slack senators who wished to take life quietly with the maximum of enjoyment and a few ambitious men who felt at last that they could display their ambition without risking their necks the senate still contained some men of real ability who were loyal to the oligarchic constitution such as the epicurean general lucullus quintus metellus who had made a good military reputation the orator hortensius and catullus the son of that catullus who had fought so well against the cimbri a somewhat duller reflection of his father's virtues but the great majority were apathetic nobodies while the two persons who were most important and influential among sulla's lieutenants were men who disliked the sullen constitution simply because it gave them no scope for the display of the considerable abilities which they possessed and for the satisfaction of their ambition it is mainly on the doings of these two marcus licinius crassus and gnaeus pompeius that the politics of the next twenty years were to turn no two men could have been more unlike in character but fate was always hurling them together first as young soldiers in sulla's camp with fathers to avenge then later as consuls in the same year lastly as members of the famous first triumvirate of the idiosyncrasies of each of them we must endeavour to gain a firm grasp at first however there were circumstances which kept the ambition and the rivalry of crassus and pompey from assuming the importance which they afterwards attained in seventy eight b c men's attention was mainly occupied by certain evils which as long as sulla lived had given the government little concern because they knew that if things grew serious one nod of sulla's head would suffice to set them right when he was removed these problems suddenly began to cause alarm first there was suppressed unrest in italy the children of the proscribed deprived of all political rights the citizens of the etruscan towns who had escaped massacre but had not escaped confiscation the numerous population in the valley of the po who had obtained latin rights from pompeius strabo but wanted to become full citizens were all discontented the wrecks of the bands of carbo and the younger marius were not entirely dispersed some were pirates on the high seas others 
freebooters in mauritania in spain their strongest man the ex-praetor sertorius had raised a really dangerous insurrection a peril to the state not so much because it was a lingering remnant of the civil war between roman and roman as because sertorius was gradually deromanizing himself and becoming a spanish national leader rather than a representative of the old party of the populares of him we shall have more to say when we deal with the life of pompey as long as sulla lived the optimates talked of him as a tiresome survivor of a long-lost cause much as we talk of bota or de Vette. after the dictator's death it became clear that his insurrection far from dying down was distinctly spreading over a wider area and threatening to tear away the whole of spain from the roman empire it had already been the death of several incapable optimate generals and the ruin of several small armies the outlook in the west was gloomy but in the year that follows sulla's decease it was not sertorius who seemed the most dangerous foe of the senatorial government their main trouble was caused at home by the vain and heady consul marcus aemilius lepidus who tried in the most reckless fashion to pull down the whole of the new constitution almost before its founder's ashes were cold lepidus was a rash intruding fool whose motive was nothing more than the ill-regulated ambition of a man who does not know his own mediocrity and thirsts to be something great he draped himself in the torn and soiled mantle of saturninus and cinna and appeared in the character of a democratic saviour of society now the large majority of the people of rome and of italy disliked the senatorial regime but disliked still more the idea of the recommencement of the civil war and all its horrors the council found little support but contrived to gather in etruria an army of political refugees discontented politicians liberated slaves and even bankrupt sullen veterans the whole of this rising bears an astonishing resemblance to the doings of catiline in the same district fifteen years later it failed in much the same way when lepidus led his horde against the city the senate hastily fitted out an army against him under catullus these raw levies were just ready when the ex-consul reached the tiber and actually crossed it at the mulvian bridge and entered the compass martius here among the monuments and polling booths catullus and his legions met him and gave him a severe defeat he retreated into etruria took ship to escape his pursuers and died immediately after in sardinia whither he had fled the strongest body of his followers that held together was defeated by pompey in cisalpine gaul and its leader marcus brutus was captured and executed at mutina only a small part of lepidus's insurrectionary host headed by the praetor perpenna escaped by sea and went to join sertorius in spain there the insurgents were making marked progress they carried all before them and were not even checked when pompey in the next year led a considerable army of reinforcements from italy against them while the revolt of sertorius was taxing all the energies of rome there were two other important struggles in progress the first was the renewed war with mithridates an ill-managed and interminable struggle in which the king of pontus whom sulla had beaten with such ease and rapidity baffled all the roman generals for ten years 
so that even the very capable lucius lucullus the best general of really loyal mind whom the senate possessed could not entirely subdue him though he beat him in battle often enough the third and the most difficult and disgraceful of the three military problems with which the oligarchy had to deal in these troublous years was the great slave rising in italy under the thracian spartacus who beat ten roman armies and equipped forty thousand men with their spoils though he had started as the leader of no more than seventy-eight runaway gladiators scandalous as it appeared the senate could not prevent the untrained hordes of spartacus from ranging over the whole of italy from the po to the straits of regium for several years he marched and countermarched among the apennines like a second hannibal and won battles over the incapable optimate generals that were in their way hardly less notable than trebia or trasimene the government whose weakness provoked and whose incapacity protracted the three disastrous wars with sertorius mithridates and spartacus deserved to fall it only needed some one more able than the vain lepidus to lead the attack on the sullen state system and it was bound to crumble down but the blow was to be given not by one man but by two pompey was returning from spain on the one side on the other crassus was about to come to the front of him we have now to speak in detail hitherto we have barely mentioned his name marcus licinius crassus had been born in or about the year b c 107 we have already had occasion to tell how his father crassus the ex-consul and his elder brother publius fell in the great massacre of b c 87 hunted down by the gangs of marius but marcus the younger son escaped through untold perils to spain where he lay hid for many months in a cave by the seashore when he emerged from his lurking-place it was to become a freebooter on the high seas at last he heard that sulla had returned to italy and sailed to join him at the head of his band of outlaws he applied to the proconsul for a military command and a detachment of troops i can only said sulla give you as helpers the ghosts of your murdered father and brother crassus quite understood his chief's meaning the optimate army was so small that there was not a man to spare the spur of revenge must serve him instead of regular resources with no more than his original band of outlaws he made a dash into marcian territory and there succeeded in raising a considerable body of troops when sulla advanced into central italy crassus guarded his flank after rome fell he was sent up into etruria where he did good service against carbo and his crew but his most striking exploit was that he saved the fortune of the day at the battle of the colline gate his wing it will be remembered was successful while that of sulla was broken and pushed back to the walls it was only delivered in the end by the help of crassus who used his own victorious legions to save his leader from destruction at the end of the civil war then crassus had achieved a brilliant military reputation of all the optimate generals there were none who were more esteemed save pompey and the ambitious and ill-fated lucretius ofella the latter was soon cut off but with the former crassus had already started that rivalry which was to endure throughout both their lives as the elder man he bitterly resented the fact that sulla always gave the high place to pompey 
and honoured him with a distinction and a confidence that he accorded to no other of his subordinates nevertheless crassus might have gone far and have been reckoned among the leading lights of his party if he had not managed to offend the dictator and to get himself marked down as a man who was not to be trusted hitherto his career reads like that of an adventurous soldier but in his last campaign he was beginning to show the traits which were to be so prominent in his later life that unscrupulous greed for money and that indifference as to the means by which it was to be got which were to be alike his strength and his weakness during the rest of his life sulla's anger with crassus arose from two sinister incidents at the siege of tudor in umbria crassus had captured the military chest of the democratic consuls instead of handing over its contents to the treasury he embezzled the whole for his private profit later in the war being in command in lucania and brutium he committed the unpardonable offence of slaying some local magnates whose names had never appeared in the proscription list and seized their wealth for himself now sulla though he was ruthless in bloodshedding had a system in all that he did and objected to seeing his plans for weakening the democratic party turn to the use of private greed he was deeply incensed at crassus for slaying men uncondemned by himself and when his command ran out sent him into private life with a bad mark against his name he did not prosecute him or drive him out of the senate but simply noted him down as a man not to be trusted or employed having lost his military career and being barred out of political advancement crassus turned his energies into money-making and laid the foundation of the vast fortune which he was to accumulate by lucky speculations in the property of the proscribed the italian money market was glutted with lands houses and investments belonging to the fallen democrats the man who had a little spare money to invest could at this moment buy up great masses of property which would recover their value in a few years when the glut and the panic was over and italy had settled down into quiet crassus had not very great paternal wealth his own moderate fortune reached the competent but not startling total of three hundred talents some seventy-five thousand of our money but he had amassed great sums by plunder during the war and he boldly sank every sesterce that he could scrape together in buying up depreciated lands and houses in and about rome he had his reward within a short time when public confidence had been restored and prices had risen to their old level he found himself a millionaire what his wealth was at this period we cannot say but at a later time it amounted after a year of exceptional expense and all sorts of political corruption to no less than seven thousand one hundred talents one million seven hundred and seventy thousand pounds of our money while sulla still lived and while the oligarchy still held together after his death crassus excluded from public life went on conquering and to conquer in the world of finance plutarch gives us most extraordinary details as to his ingenious and often undignified methods of money-making not only did he lend money at high rates of interest both to roman senators and to provincial municipalities but he invented strange devices of his own one of them was his school for the education of slaves 
he used to buy the raw material and have them trained as readers bookkeepers stewards and cooks it is said that he not only supervised the school but often gave lectures himself in the cooking of accounts rather than of entrees it is to be presumed the slaves who had been through his academy sold at much enhanced prices still more astonishing was his amateur fire brigade in the way in which he used it he got together a body of five hundred workmen carpenters masons and the like provided them with ropes buckets ladders and tools whenever there was a fire and fires were common as they were dangerous in the crowded city he went down at the head of his gang and called on householders whose property was in the immediate neighbourhood of the conflagration he then offered to buy their houses as they stood at a very low figure if the terrified owner consented the fire brigade was turned on and the mansion generally preserved if he refused crassus went away with his men and let the fire do its worst hence in time says plutarch he became master of a very appreciable part of the house property of rome historians have often written of this bold speculator as if money-making was his main purpose in life and politics no more than a diversion to him but he was no mere money-bag no gatherer of wealth for its own sake without any further end crassus was even more ambitious than greedy and his large accumulations of money were made for the definite end of raising himself to a high place in the state they err who represent him merely as an ingenious and shameless financier crassus had felt bitterly the ostracism from public affairs to which sulla had condemned him and he was determined to win his way back to a prominent part in politics since the oligarchy had banished him from their ranks as a corrupt and untrustworthy member he would get back to power by taking up the cause against which he had fought so strenuously in his youth crassus had in reality nothing of the democrat in him the only point on which he touched the sympathies of the democratic party was that by his enormous money-making and the place to which he had risen in the world of finance he had made himself the king and lord of the whole tribe of the publicani who as members of the equestrian order had been so badly maltreated by sulla and who were therefore constrained to fall back on their old alliance with the populares except in the fact that his interests were bound up with this class he had no further connection in feeling or sympathy with the democrats the basis of the influence which crassus wielded was no doubt his importance as the leader of the equestrian order and the publicani one by the fact that he was concerned in all their financial ventures but it was not only in commercial circles that he had extended his influence it was his object to make himself a power by having as many persons as possible of all classes interested in his success and bound to him by obligations of one sort or another two of his methods are especially dwelt on by plutarch the first was his willingness to act as patron to any one who applied to him and his constant appearance in the law courts to defend all manner of clients he was not a first-rate speaker tending to be dull and prolix but he always got up his brief and often beat better men because he came prepared with facts while they relied merely on eloquent declamation or personal abuse often when hortensius or cicero had refused to take up a case he would undertake it 
for he considered few persons too unimportant to be worth serving an obliging even an unctuous manner and a real capacity for taking pains in small things gained him many dependents he never neglected to return a salutation and could address an almost incredible number of citizens by their proper names in this respect he was just the opposite of his opponent pompey who was gauche and ungracious his other method of winning influence was the more practical one of getting into his net any man who seemed likely to be useful by offering to lend him money pushing young men who took to politics he was most eager to oblige not charging too heavy interest nor sometimes any interest at all he lost enormous sums of money in this way for of course he was frequently repaid neither the capital nor the interest but he got instead what he cared for even more than money a personal influence over all kinds of people in the most various walks of life so that he could pull the wires in all manner of political circles without his hand appearing for of course his debtors would do anything to keep him quiet it is this personal consideration which explains the indulgence which the senate showed him there were so many individuals in it who owed him money that their collective influence prevented him from suffering at the hands of the whole oligarchic party still these supporters were purely interested and venal and not to be relied upon like richard the third as described by moore with large gifts he gat him unsteadfast friendship the reappearance of crassus in politics came about owing to the disasters which the senate suffered in the war with spartacus several considerable armies commanded by oligarchic nonentities had been destroyed by the brigand and his horde who ranged all over southern italy at their will resolved at last to look for a competent soldier of approved capacity the senate was almost forced to use crassus who as we have already seen had gained a reputation in the civil war second only to that of pompey the other two possible men were unavailable pompey was in spain fighting sertorius lucullus in the east fighting mithridates when appointed general crassus set to work at once to discipline the beaten and demoralized legions which were handed over to him by his predecessor in command he tried all methods with them both those of persuasion and those of punishment on one occasion he is said to have used to a legion which had disbanded in the face of the enemy the terrible old punishment of decimation if we may use the word for he took by lot one man in every fifty not in every ten and put him to death whether by fear or by the good and regular pay and provisions which he secured for his men crassus got them into a better fighting mood than they had shown of late and gave spartacus the first check that he had received at last he blocked him up by a circumvallation near regium in the tip of the brutian peninsula the rebel burst out losing many men in the attempt but was chased north by crassus who at last caught him and his main body in the open field and slew them all in a battle in lucania only scattered bands got away to the north the war was practically settled when pompey suddenly appeared upon the scene the young general who was to be crassus's rival and yet his ally had just put an end to the spanish war favoured as we shall see by the lucky chance that sertorius had been murdered by his own jealous lieutenants 
returning with his army he caught the last bands of the defeated rebels as they tried to escape across northern italy and cut them up for this pompey took over great credit remarking that crassus had beat spartacus indeed but that he himself had torn up the war by the roots End of section 13